I miss their mess. I miss their noise. (laughs) I miss their rudeness and neediness. I miss their laughter. I miss my place in their lives. I mean, who am I? And what do I do with the rest of my life? Well, we all have struggles when the kids move out. That's a quote from a book written by Jim Burns, and uh, that really identifies what some of those feelings are. Uh, We've got Jim in the studio with us today on Focus on the Family, and we're going to be unpacking this topic. Thanks for joining us. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, I've got one that's flown the coop, one that is perched and ready to do that. I'm just not sure when. And then uh, where (laughs) are you at? You're a near empty nester. I'm a near empty nester. Where are you at in this journey? empty nesters. We have been for some time. When the last kid moved out, my mother-in-law moved in for a couple of years, and she's in uh, eternity now. So we are experiencing the fullness of an empty house, and it's really kind of nice. It is. And, you know, we do ask folks, where are they at? What do they want to hear? And this is one of the topics that comes up pretty regularly now Mm -hmm. that, you know, do more for the grandparenting age and stage and help us better understand how to how to live this part of our life a little Mm -hmm. better. So we're going to talk about it today, what empty nest looks like, maybe in the grandparenting stage for some, and just where we need to go from here. Um, I'm thinking of a friend whose kids, adult kids, live mostly around the neighborhood. I Mm -hmm. think he had three or four out of the six kids were right nearby. And then all of a sudden, in about a two to three week period, boom, they all left. And it wasn't organized or talked about. It just happened. And he talked to me about the trauma of that. Like they didn't expect it, didn't anticipate it, it just happened. Mm -hmm. And it was a bit of a struggle for he and his wife to manage that and readapt. What do we do now? So Mm -hmm. we're going to get into all this today with Jim Burns. Yeah, and Jim has been here before. He's always a popular guest. Our audience tells us, uh, we like Jim, we like what he says. (laughs) Uh, He's the president of Homeward, an organization that really uh, advances the kingdom of God by educating and equipping uh, parents to build God-honoring families. He and his wife, Kathy, have three girls. They've all left the nest, at least for now. And uh, he really captures a lot of his insights and experiences in a terrific book called Finding Joy in the Empty Nest, Discover Purpose and Passion in the Next Phase of Life. We'll encourage you to stop by our website. Details are in the episode notes, or give us a call for your copy, 800 the letter a in the word family. Jim, welcome back to Focus. Good to have you. It is so good to be with both of you. And uh, I think I first came, I was talking with you. We were talking about young kids. And yes, now here we go. My kids have flown the coop. You all have these stories. And so now here we are talking about the empty nest. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, this is part of life, right? It, it really is. And it, it's a good part of life. But for a lot of people, it's it's a tough part of well, life, Well, it can be mentioned. that transition story I talked about. Sometimes yeah. it's kind of unplanned. You think the kids are going to be around. I know my brother and his wife, they kind of, they've sold their house in California, moved to Oregon to be near the grandkids yeah. of their adult daughter. And then they decided to move out to Tennessee and so they thought, wow, okay, what do we do now? Sold the house, got an RV, and they're kind of tour around the country and spending more time in Tennessee so they can be near the grandkids. But everybody's got some kind of story in this space and stage of life. Yeah. Let me ask you, uh, with the empty nest territory, it can be daunting for some of our listeners and viewers. Um, it can take you by surprise like we talked about, or it can even be planned, and then it still emotionally is really hard to manage. So what's that first idea that, okay, this is going to be new. Do you fill it with stuff to do or what do you do? Well, I think a lot of us didn't prepare for it and all of a sudden it just happened. Right. So our daughter, Heidi, we drop her off at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. It's in central California. And we were so busy getting things ready. It didn't dawn us that we were going to become empty nest. We honestly hadn't thought much about it. Yeah. We get in the car and 
Kathy and I didn't talk to each other for about half an hour. It was just, I was in my thoughts. I look at her. She's gazing out the window, and all of a sudden I see a tear running down. Mm. And I said, you okay, babe? She goes, yeah, no, I, I'm okay. I said, you want to stop in Santa Barbara? It's about 90 minutes. Yes. You want to stop in Santa Barbara <laughs> and get a lunch? Uh, which she would typically say what you just said. Yeah. And she said, no, I, I'm okay. I don't, I don't, I'm not really hungry. And oh, you know, we wow. dr- I'll, I'll just drive all the way home. And we get home, and it was quiet. Mm. And do you know that the next day is when I wrote that phrase, I miss their mess. I miss, I even said, I miss their rudeness, right? Yeah. And I hadn't really missed their rudeness yet. But what we found was that we had to reinvent ourselves. And I found in writing uh, Finding Joy in the Empty Nest that there were so many people that felt loss and grief and uh, I did all these focus groups during the pandemic of all times. And so it was on Zoom. Some of your friends were on that. And uh, and I didn't see it coming. I mean, I saw fun things. And they would talk, John, like your situation. Oh, yeah, I don't have an empty nest. My, you know, my mother-in-law's back in. And all the complications understood that. But what I didn't hear was the depth of pain, what I call now the empty nest syndrome. And, you know, Kathy experienced it because she was the son and we had three planets going around her. Well, I, I'm a fourth planet. <laughs> and all of a <laughs> She's sudden, the anchor. Exactly. She yeah. is in our home. And all of a sudden, she didn't have a place. So uh. she experienced you know, a sense of you know, even anxiety. And she's not an anxious person necessarily, uh, but some sadness. And I went, well, I don't have it. And then I found out later, wait, I just was going to work an hour earlier, staying an hour later. So my mm. empty nest syndrome pain was a different kind, but I still experienced it. And I, I see a lot of people experiencing that. And the people who do well in the empty nest are the people who figure out how to live in a different stage. And the people who don't do well, they're stuck. I think one of the big principles that I love is just simply, you know, this principle, when your child leaves home and their life fills up with fresh ideas, you do the same. Mm, It's a rite of passage. Yeah. I was going to ask you this, and then I want to get back to the empty nest syndrome point that you made. But one of the articles I read a few years ago was the graying of divorce. And it pointed to this substantial increase, the fastest growing segment of the culture uh, filing for divorce were empty nesters, you know, and mostly women, uh, the wives and mothers, because they go, wow, I feel like my job is done. I really don't know you anymore. We don't have much in common. I think we're done with our marriage. Right. Speak to that issue, because that really is the yeah. dramatic outcome of what you're talking right. about. Right, and I think a lot of your listeners might be surprised at that, that the greatest demographic, the largest demographic of getting a divorce right now is 50 and over, Yeah, what they call the graying a divorce. And I think part of it was they, they had a lot of issues in their marriage, and they held out for the kids. Yeah, just... And then they looked up, and they said, wow, I'm not, I don't want to work at it hard enough. The interesting thing is that when they do work at it, even in a troubled marriage, if they will persevere for, say, five years and they'll kind of reboot their marriage, 78% say that their marriage is better off. Yeah. So it's the people who, instead of giving up, mm-hmm. and and some people come into this empty nest, boy, they're limping and they're bruised in their marriages. But the fact is, is you can reinvent. You were in love. So mm-hmm. if you've lost that or if you've drifted, you can come back. Yeah. You can make course corrections. And that's the good news of this. You know, the it's important. Data is important. I like to look at data because it shows a direction. And I remember, I think it was a University of Chicago study that showed, it, I don't know how they did this, but they created two research groups, yeah. both headed for divorce, but they uh, had the one cohort commit to counseling and staying married for a period of time versus the others that were headed for divorce. They came back to them some years later, three, four years later, and 80% of those who fought for their marriages were doing better and happy. So 80% of the marriages survived is the point. In the other group, 
80% of the people who had divorced yeah. were extremely unhappy and said that it was a mistake. That kind of supports what well, does. It supports it, your point. It's mm-hmm. exactly that case. And again, it's hard because you got to yeah. lean into it. You got to rework. You know, if we were talking before the program, we were talking about working out. And, you know, and, and I do it once a year, no matter if I need it or not. Right. <laughs> but, you know, it's not easy. But when you do, you get better. And you feel it. better. Yeah. So when you lean into your marriage and you work on your marriage, it makes sense. Yeah. No, that's good. Going back to empty nest syndrome, you mentioned four things that were really helpful for you and yeah. I think others that you've encountered yeah. to deal with the, the negativity of the empty nest syndrome. What are yeah. they? Well, one is that you actually close this chapter. Um, I was thinking back to rites of passages when I was younger and I was speaking to a lot of kids and stuff. I'd always talk about the rite of passage. You know, 13 is a rite of passage. 16, you get your driver's license, all these things. How cool is that? But this is the rite of passage. And if you don't close the chapter and really fill and embrace this new empty nest, you're not going to do well. So the people who did well closed the chapter. Yeah, describe those that don't close that. What does that okay. look like generally? Uh, they're, they're still trying to be in control with their adult kids. Who what are does that look else. like? What that looks like is they're giving them unsolicited advice, which is pretty much taken as criticism because the kids are saying, you know, you don't trust me to be an adult. They're still trying to manage things that they can't manage anymore. And so to close the chapter says you take a deep breath and you say, you know what, I'm going to give my kids that passport to adulthood. They're not always acting like adults. I get it. And, you know, whatever. But I'm going to do that. I'm going to close that ch- this the chapter with my kids being in the home and open up a new chapter. And in that, there's some pretty exciting things that can happen. Yeah. I- exciting things if you're married. Exciting things if you're single. Exciting things in your faith. Yeah. But you've got to close the chapter. I want to I press in on this a little yeah. bit because I think it's so critical. And, you know, I think Gene and I experienced this with our two boys. Yeah. And, you know, we're still in the process of that empty yeah. nest uh, development. But... You know, letting go, it sounds really easy. Yeah. Yeah, just let go. Yeah. But it's hard because I think especially at 19, 20, 21, they're not going to make always the right decisions. Yeah. They're adulting, but they're learning to do it. Yeah. And our instinct as parents is to yeah. continue to control you know, did you get that doctor's appointment done? Right. You know, what's your oil light saying to you? Exactly. I, I, I mean, I'm guilty of that. I just asked yeah. Troy that the other day. Is it yeah. time for some maintenance on your car? And he right. said, I think so. My right window's not going up. <laughs> I, he probably, you know, will go ahead and make the appointment, right? Yeah. But um, those are kind of the indicators that maybe yeah. you're taking too much as the parent on. No, we're, so just speak to that and that control feature. Yeah. Well, I think we're we're controlling, and sometimes when we control, we enable, and we always mean well. I mean, when you ask, you know, our, the oil light, my goodness, that's a great question. Sometimes experience is a better teacher than advice, and <laughs> so he's gonna if he's gonna go around with the window not working, you know, but it's so hard. I mean, I have scars. You guys can see this here in the studio. I have scars on my tongue from having to bite my tongue with my kids. <laughs> but what happens is control turns into enabling. And the question we have to ask is, are we enabling dependency um, uh, where our kids are now dependent on us? I mean, I had a woman say to me, and I thought this was ironic on several levels. She said, you know, my 22-year-old, you know, isn't making his own pediatrician appointments. And I'm like, <laughs> well, a, why are you still making doctor's appointments? And two, why is your kid going to a pediatrician who's <laughs> right. 22 years old? But, but again, the point being that we mean well. Our intentions are great, but we've got to 
give them the experience, sometimes the, even a negative experience, so they can learn from it. Here's a hard uh, assessment that I've made, is, and Gene and I talk about this, is you've got to also let your kids experience valleys spiritually yeah. right, right. so that the Lord can show up. Right. I mean, if right. they just move from mountain, mountaintop to mountaintop because you're making this bridge over yeah. the valleys, you're going to have, a, in my opinion, a very shallow adult. You are. Kids have to move from dependence on you and you helping them through that process with church and, and spirituality to them becoming more independent in their faith. You know, our, our daughter Christy wrote her senior year, she was a newspaper editor, and she wrote, I had to disown my parents' faith to own my own faith. Yeah. Oh, that that shook us. But the truth is, is now she's more involved in our church and she, we live in the same area. So we go to the same church and you all know, go, oh my goodness, she's, she's out doing us and, you know, activities and things like that. But the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree, but you've got to allow that even on the spiritual side. And this is a time for them to, you know, question issues or, you know, one of the phrases I like to use is that, you know, tolerance is a form of loving to this generation of millennials and Gen Zers. And so they're even dealing with biblical values that they know. And that's the, the values we taught, but they're straying from their faith and sometimes they're violating our values. And it's really hard in there because, you know, it makes Christmas and Easter, especially in the empty nest when they come back, it makes it for kind of interesting conversations. Mm -hmm. But we still have to allow them to find that. And, what we're, and we see kids leaving the church a lot of times in the adult years, young adult years. But we see them coming back too, you know. It's good news. We see them coming back when they're getting married, when they're making babies, when there's an issue. They need community. And all of a sudden they go, you know what? My best community was when I was a, in youth group in junior high. And... I'm going to come back. No, I so appreciate that because I feel like the researchers, people that you and I both know, yeah. tend to live in this, you know, wow situation yeah. where they're doing this research. But it is true. When you get married, when you have a child, you tend to go back to yep. those things that you learned well, as a child. And, you know, thankfully, don't be too rattled if your 20-something is not engaged in church. I mean, it's a process. It is a process, and it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, but that's hard to do. I mean, it is because I, I want to go. What, I want to ask my kids every time. So, what? How's it going at church? How yeah. involved are but you? But the more controlling you are in that space, the more they'll reject <laughs> no. it. And it, I think the longer it will take for the Lord yeah. to woo them back. Yeah. So, man, let go. And, let them make those decisions. And we who do some of that research, we whine and complain, and it sounds so negative. But one of the good news things with parents of millennials, they need to hear this, is that when they find, they meander toward marriage and they meander toward responsibility, they're just doing that during the 20s. Much more than, I mean, I got married one week after college and I had to become an adult because we had a car payment, one car payment. That was the only payment <laughs> And we you had. liked electricity <laughs> and gas. <laughs> right. But the interesting side to it is with, with this crowd, when they get married, you know what the number one thing they want? This is the millennials. We haven't studied enough of the Gen Zers yet. They're too young. That'd be your, your boys. Yeah, 2022. But, but with the millennials, the number one thing they want is a good marriage, and they want to be good parents. So what does that say to something like focus on the family? Yeah. They're going to, you know, a new generation, when, when we were making babies and whatnot, we were listening to focus on the family, right? And a new generation needs the kind of conversations that happen here all the time because they need content and they, they crave content and uh, they may not do it by listening to a radio at the exact yeah. time. They're going to listen to it the beautiful ways with podcasts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is so good. So tell a friend, if you see somebody in <laughs> trouble parenting, yeah. send them our way. Yeah. We have so many resources here at the ministry, uh, including this conversation with Jim Burns and his book, Finding Joy in the Empty Nest. Um, reach out and uh, we're a phone call away. You can get help when you call 800, the letter A in the word family 
or stop by the episode notes for details and resources. Uh, Jim, I know we've covered one about closing the uh, chapter here. The other three quickly. My producers are not going to let me go with that. (laughs) What are the four? (laughs) Well, you know, we've got to choose to change um, our own attitude. What does that look like? Attitude makes a difference. It, It means... Part of that is what we were talking about, I think, in terms of how we relate to our kids. But we have to look at this as a positive time, that we're <laughs> going to take a clean break, and our attitude is okay for that, that we we have to mourn it. You know, C.S. Lewis said this, that when you change, you experience loss. And it's one of the necessary losses mm-hmm. when your kids go in, you know, outside and you're now in an empty nest. But so for us, we have to accept it. We have to embrace it and say, this is a new time. Here's the interesting fact, and you can Google me on this. The average person goes to the empty nest at 48.9. That was not our case. We were older. But 48.9, you're going to spend more time in the empty nest possibly than with your kids. I'm living that. Yeah. yeah. So with that, it's important to, uh, to change your attitude toward, wait, there can be good things. We can, we're we're going to miss our day-to-day activities with our kids. And we can now we have to reinvent that relationship. But we can also, we can get more involved in church. I mean, I, I found that in the empty nest, you know, Kathy's been teaching Bible study for 14 years. And her empty nest ministry is stronger than it was when we had kids. Interesting. And yeah. and so she has more time. Uh, she went out for coffee with a friend yesterday. She couldn't have done that at 4 o'clock in the afternoon because right, kids more were coming flexibility. back. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So there's a lot of things, but you have to embrace that and lean into that and see the positive because there's a whole lot of negative because you do yeah. have to grieve the And again, these are four things that you've noticed in your own yeah. path and others yeah. that you yeah. can beat the empty nest syndrome, as you call it, by applying these right, four right. things. And they're, so they're setting goals too. Yeah, and setting so, goals is next. So they set goals and you know we set individual goals, but Kathy and I also kind of created a dream list of what we want to do. And it wasn't just let's go to Italy. I mean, that'd be great. But it was also a dream list of what we wanted to make our life look like. And so the changing of goals, it was both good for us to do it individually and and separately. And then also, I think you make new friends in the empty nest. Mm -hmm. People kept coming back to me when I was asking people in kind of some of my research, and they kept saying that, you know, we have stronger friends. We can go out to dinner with our friends, the ones who are more social. And, And like my wife, she's an introvert. So she's not going to be the one who wants to go out seven nights a week. But she has deeper friendships because she leaned into that. And I find single empty nesters who say, you know what, I just didn't have time to get involved in church. And now I have a great group of women or a great group of men that I'm you know, biking together with or I'm doing a Bible study with and whatnot. Those are the, the issues that I think you get through that empty nest with. And again, I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not saying it's actually even simple. I'm saying you have to put energy and effort into yeah. it. And Jean, Jean's doing a great job. I think she is paving the way for us. But let me ask you in that regard, you have a story in the book about Mike and Mary oh, yeah. who struggled with yeah. this. And I think it's so typical, and God bless Mike and Mary for being able to right. allow you to use their yeah. story. Yeah. But describe Mike yeah. and Mary's battle in the empty nest. Right. Well, it's actually... I changed the names to, yeah, of course. you know, whatever. But uh, I know these people very, very well. And what I realized with uh, with the conversation was that Mike was really mad at Mary <laughs> because he said, she's not getting through this. And she, all she, we sit and all we talk about is, you know, the kids and their, and his kids raised in the church, raised at our church, actually, um, beautiful people. But were they were having the party scene and, yeah. you know, they really had fled the, you know, the their, some of the values of, right. their, of Mike and Mary. And they now were, were having conflict because Mary couldn't get past it. And yeah. she really was kind of almost becoming a one-topic conversationalist. And Mike's going, this is not fair because I thought it was going to be great. I thought we were going to run around the house and it was going to be all romantic and all this. And, you know, that's not happening. 
And so what happened was, is there were some things Mike could do to kind of help Mary along, but Mary had to make some decisions as well in terms of when when your kids leave the empty nest, you've got to leave that too. So what Mary had to do was relinquish her old job description and create the new job description. And really in a neat way, I've watched this transform and uh, they just went on a really cool uh, trip. Uh, they got in a car and they drove kind of, you know, up the, they live in California, they drove up to the state of Washington and then over to, you know, San Juan Islands and whatever. They had a beautiful time. They didn't do that before. So they learned to play together. One of the things that Mike and Mary, and this mm-hmm. is not from the book because this has been learned later because I know these people well, but they said, you know, we had to learn to play again and to have fun because we didn't really have a lot of fun together. We had fun with our kids, but we didn't have fun connecting together. And so, you know, they started having more fun together. And that actually brought back the relationship. There was kind of a broken spirit with Mary, yeah. uh, Mary would say. And she said, you know, my, my spirit was healed in some ways because Mike allowed me to have some of these experiences, but then we played together and we, and he started just, you know, through laughter and through Mm. fun. You also talk about the big five. Yes. And, you know, we're going to zero in here. We only have a couple of minutes left, but let's hit the big five with some description. What are they? And how does it help you? Yeah, well, this is with your kids. And uh, the and the big five is, you know, truly, I said it before, but have you given your child the passport to adulthood? Because if you haven't, it's not going to go well. Yeah. And and they're, they want freedom, but you've got to give them the passport to, to adulthood. What does that sound like? I mean, what are you saying? It, it says, you're now in charge of your life. I'm coming alongside you. You're moving from that being in control. And when they're teenagers, you're only in semi-control anyway. You just, let's face it, you may think you're in culture yeah. control, but you're not. But now moving the relationship to more of a mentoring, caring relationship. So I'm giving them, they're adults, and I need to have a relationship with them as an adult. So that's that passport. Um, You're fired as a day-to-day parent and accept that and, you know, move on. Your role has to change. That's a brilliant point. I mean, it's a little jarring for some people to hear that. Well, it's it's your role. You're fired? What? Yeah. I'm still their parent, <laughs> but yeah. you need to reorient the relationship. Right, right. And then, and then quickly, you know, and this could be the biggie. You know, do you want it more than they want it? So we've talked around this, but today I see so many parents of adult children who are saying, "My my kids aren't. We, we grew up in the church, and they went to Christian school, and they were active in youth group, and now they don't believe, or they're not following the Lord. They're violating values. They're straying from faith." And what I say to people is, you can't want it more than they want it. I said to a woman two nights ago, I was I was speaking on doing life with your adult children, and her daughter had moved in with a boyfriend. And I said, does she know what you believe? Yes. Does she know how you feel? Yes. Then broaden the relationship with her because you can't shun her because that's not mm-hmm. going to work. And you can't dump all of your anger and frankly, you can't want it more than they're going to want it. But when she crashes, and I have no doubt that this girl is going to crash, when she crashes, you want to be that safe person. So it's that fine line, and we could talk about this all day, but it's that fine line of your heart is broken, but how do you keep in relationship with your kids and still hold to your values? Um, that's a conversation that parents have to have in their head with each other if they're married, uh, with a counselor if they need counseling help. But I want to push back on that a little bit because you're saying you don't want to want it more than they want it. I think it's natural to do that. No, I mean, you just can't express it in the ways that you would want to. Well, when you want it more than they want it, you become a one-topic parent. Correct. So what this woman was saying, she says, I said, does she know what you believe? Yes, I tell her every every time. Well, that's 
she needs to be talking to somebody else. Right. You're going to, oh, I the, got it. You know, I'm thinking about the parents who talk to me who, you know, their kids are violating values, straying from faith. And, you know, they, they're praying and they're, they're just so upset. But what I'm saying is they can't show that as much to their kid. They can show, please don't think that I'm saying ignore all that. But what I am saying is those kids have to sometimes learn from experience. Those yeah. kids have to, uh, you know, experience the pain. And, and it's tough love. Tough love is, allowing your children to experience their poor choices. It's not being mean or shunning. It's, it's allowing them to experience the poor choices. And you know what the bottom line is on this, you guys? They still ask the question, do you still love me? Even they, if. Yes, yeah. even when they're violating, what they yeah. want to know is do their parents, do you still love me? Well, in fact, you had that experience with your daughter. This yeah. is where we'll end. In the book you talk yeah. about, she came home and she had you know something done to her. <laughs> A piercing, I believe, right. through her nose, if right. I remember correctly, exactly. which you didn't appreciate, but yeah. you managed that right. differently than you wanted to explain right. it. Well, you know, she comes home from college, and yeah. a lot of times in college they, they do. She's not a Christian college. She comes home from college, and she has this ring. And I'm not saying it's a little cute little diamond thing. It's this, you know, this hoop in her yeah. nose. And uh, basically what I realized the hoop was was saying, are you still going to love me if I look at life a little differently? And so um, I didn't say, that is the cutest piece <laughs> of jewelry I've ever seen. But, you know, I, I decided to, that wasn't the issue for me. I wasn't going to battle that. Funny enough, you know, she went and got her master's in clinical psych and she's counseling. Guess who loves her? Every teenage girl who has a hoop in their nose because she still has the hoop. Yeah. And uh, it's funny, even her at a Christian uh, therapy, you know, clinic, they're saying, are you sure you want that ring? And then the head guy goes, wait, all the girls want her because she has this, this ring. She identifies. Yeah, with now her. I'm used to it. Sure. I even forget that she has the hoop. Yeah. Um, life goes on. And I'm glad I didn't say you are worthless and your values are so different because it's, it's a hoop in your nose. It's not the end of life. And she's making great decisions on so many other things. <laughs> it's sometimes hard for us as parents to uh, buy into, but I get so it. Hard. And John, maybe you might want to uh, put I'm a hoop in your I'm just going to be quiet nose. right here. I'm passing. That, yeah. But uh, Jim, this has been great. We've covered a lot of territory. We did. And we really only covered about half of what yeah. I wanted to cover yeah. today. So let's come back next time and, and keep the conversation going if you're willing. Great. And uh, we'll get to it. I hope this content is really meeting that need in your heart. And you're going, wow, I so identify with this. And if that's where you're at, either on YouTube or radio, or you're listening through your smartphone via the Focus app, that's awesome. Now, let's get the book into your hands. And we can do that in a fun way, I think, if you can make a gift to Focus for any amount uh, to support the ministry. Be part of it. I mean, it's that financial support in your prayers that ends up helping another life. So you're kind of paying it forward. So uh, call us or get in touch with us and uh, order the book and make a gift of any amount. We'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you. And if you could do that on a monthly basis, even better, $10, $15. Uh, it's how Gene and I uh, support the ministry. And I think you and Dina we do, do it as well. well. Right. I'm always checking to make sure John's still doing it that way. Yeah, I even changed to the new credit card, Jim. Yeah, I even up my amounts. Yes. So, I mean, that's all good, but it's such a way to even out the cash flow for Focus so we can budget properly. Yeah. So consider it, and if you can do it, do it. Yeah, join the support team today as you can. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459, or stop by the episode notes for all the details. 
And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we continue the conversation with Jim Burns and once again, help you and your family thrive in Christ. Is your marriage holding on by a thread? For deep hurt, you need deep healing that only comes from the Lord. And you'll find it at a Focus on the Family Hope Restored Intensive in Michigan. Our licensed Christian counselors will help you and your spouse get to the root of your issues in just three to five days. And it works. 80% of the couples are still married two years after attending. Learn more at HopeRestored.com and talk with a trusted advisor. That's HopeRestored.com.